0: Sitting back, relaxing, and talking sports with the guys. Hey, we're just men doing manly things. Light up a cigar and have a brew with the starting lineups, Tyler Ivins and Eric Kane, For the next 60 minutes, it's the Gentleman's Hour podcast on the Sports Animal.
1: Welcome to the Gentleman's Hour podcast here from Barley's in the Old City. Week three of the college football season upcoming. And who would have thought that Tennessee Volunteers are still winless on the season Oh, and 2. You hear the crowd noise. There's a train going by. Cars going by. People walking their dogs. It's a beautiful day, gentlemen, as we again broadcast live from Barley's Tap, & Grill. Tyler Ivins, Mr. John Stansel, how are we doing today? You asked who
0: thought... Tennessee would be zero and two. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> you're full <of> crap.
1: <laughs> Come on, we all thought Tennessee was going to start zero and two. Don't don't put that evil on me. Yeah, you're right. I guess I, I guess I was the one in the in the minority there, Mr. Stansel. How are we? We are well, thank you. Zero and two, though, for real. It's weird. So maybe this is just gentlemen's hour podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Play. This
0: is just probably years of just. Watching Tennessee football and seeing the ebbs and flows of how seasons can be at the highest and then hit the valleys. Fourth quarter, I get down to the sidelines with roughly about, let's call it two and change to go, maybe three and change to go. And I see Tennessee Penn, BYU back deep with no timeouts. And I think to myself, wow, they actually got out of this. Their slow games. The defense showed up. Running game was efficient. Kept the clock. Essentially, Tennessee played BYU's game. Keep the football. Hold the football. Eat the clock. Limit your possessions. BYU helped them too. You would. Gosh, man, that that offensive coordinator. Did he not watch any film? Throwing the ball against that weak defensive line. It's just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Not only were they not. Not only were they not keeping the clock running, but they were just staying away from Tennessee's weak point. They were going towards the strength. Mm-hmm. And I just thought. Not only have you turned the football over how many times they turned that ball over in that game? Once, twice? Uh BYU Once. Once. And you thought, okay, they are they're in position to you know what, now that I think it I don't think they turned it over at all I, was say, I know. I, misspoke.
1: I know Wilson never threw a pick.
0: I misspoke. Uh, they didn't turn the ball over yeah. at all. I was thinking I was thinking of the Georgia State turnovers that they missed out on. Um, but the point was they didn't keep the clock running. They were running away from Tennessee's weakness. Everything about that game screamed, we are doing the complete opposite of what we should be doing. And as I sat there with Brian, Rick Russo was from WVLT was sitting there beside us. Good guy. I was just watching Garantano make some of those decisions, and Russo shared his thoughts about Cheney, and then uh, Brian chirped in, and I just remember they're saying, Man, I don't know. I'm good. I don't think I could ever imagine a quarterback regressing under Jim Chaney's tutelage, and we were seeing that unfold throughout the game, but then more importantly, late in that fourth quarter. Then you had the Elante Taylor misread. He thought he had help. We know how it played out. I don't have to describe it. But I remember even after the play occurred and they had that huge, huge gain to set him up for the field goal to send it to overtime, I just shook my head and I stopped and I had time to just look around at the stadium. BYU fans were getting louder, and then just watching Tennessee fans—some with their arms crossed, others with their hands on top of their head, some with their hands over their face where you can only see their eyes—and it was just like, only Tennessee could do this. Only Tennessee could just pull the plunge or the cork or the plunger or the stopper out of the toil- or out of the bathtub, and just watch it circle. Effectively, had the game won and quit.
1: ESPN and it's not showed Tennessee this had
0: a- season. It's the decade. Tennessee showed that they had a 99.9% chance of winning that game when it was third and change, then fourth down to get the ball down the field. With yeah. 17
1: seconds left on the clock, no timeouts, deep in your own territory. I mean, how in the world? I mean, it's just I, on another podcast that I do throughout the week, I open it up by saying it's it's the most Tennessee thing ever. I mean, literally, it's the most Tennessee thing ever. Um, can we talk about BYU's shirts some of the fans are wearing inside yeah. England stadium we will we will smite you what <laughs> what the hell yeah Very you know who's reference? not a fan of that shirt yeah. and i'll tell you all fair why gunner at wivk yeah um funny, i was a funny uh, story behind i was that.
0: the fan of the y'all shirts yeah it's the y logo from byu yeah. y'all because you know i will say this as much as i Want to complain about the sting of a BYU double overtime loss? We will did, smite you. Did you hear about the the really cool story, with the,
1: uh, with the? Um, I heard some chatter, the fan base? No, no, no. The BYU fan base and what they did with the local police department. Um, I saw I saw some chatter around social media. I'm going to be honest with you; never read it though. Um, so please tell me. So BYU fans after the game was over,
0: they were outside the bus, obviously wanting to cheer on the team as they got on the bus to head to the airport. Well, so you have hundreds of people there high-fiving, cheering on the Cougars, ushering them off to the airport, and then the fans stood around because they were there near one of the exit ramps, and all the Knox County police officers who worked the game on the field, security, you know, you have numerous security during the game. They were welcomed by the fans still there. Some of the police officers, their wives were waiting for them because they attended the game, and Usually whenever you have visiting fan bases, usually you're cuffing people, drunks, throwing them in the back of a tank, doing things to kind of quiet the crowd because they're rowdy. The police officers were greeted with a tunnel full of high fives, thanking them for their service. Oh, wow. them well. And, like, there were, they got quotes from many of the significant others of the policemen and some of the Knox County police officers, and they were just like, one particular the name escapes me who works locally here for the department said, I've been doing Tennessee football security for 30 years. Hands down, probably one of the most gracious things I have ever been a part of in my life.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Doesn't take any sting away from the no, loss. Absolutely. From, from, not. from the loss. But no, not. That, that, that's that's it a good. It,
0: You know, it doesn't help that you lost to the nice guys.
1: <laughs> to, the, to the nice. It's, it's right. like losing, uh, yeah, like you said, the best. Then I, I won't go into what I was going to say. Nonetheless, um, improvements. So many improvements from week one to week two. Um, I mean, Tennessee, call it what it is. Now, granted, you know, offensively, especially in the passing game, not a very good game, but Tennessee, sure. Tennessee virtually dominated that football game, controlled the clock, played great defense, played better defense, played really good defense, and uh, ran the hell out of the football. Tennessee nearly had 250 yards of rushing on the day. Ty Chandler capped with a 53-yard uh, touchdown run. I have say career high, but that's not a career high. He had an 84-yard uh, run against uh, – UTEP, not UMass. UTEP last year um, had a hundred and what was it, fifty-four yards on the day. Yeah. Eric Gray added uh, almost fifty as well. Both were featured, um, but you lose that football game because when you needed to run the football in the second half, late in that fourth quarter, sure you couldn't. When you needed to make fourth and inches, you're running end around. Not sure what area go. that was. Thought Some people were talking out. about how Palmer was closer than he was. No, it was no, no. He was he was stuffed, stuffed. Here, here's Almost my a problem. Full and, again, yard. and again, you know, part of the job is being critical. I'm not a football coach. I don't know football as well as those guys. They get paid millions of dollars to do it. Um, when you run an, end, and first of all, it's an end around. That's another soapbox. It's not a reverse. It's not a reverse. It's an end around. I go through it every year. When I see all these media outlets say reverse, but no, it's an end Sounds around. Like me when people jump on me for calling open dates
0: by weeks by weeks
1: it, it's just one of those little things it, it doesn't matter but i all these publications i'm sitting them to say tennessee fails on the reverse tennessee run no it's not a reverse okay the ball has to go from quarterback to ball carrier to another ball carrier for it to be reverse this goes from quarterback to literally a guy running from the end end around that's why it's called an end around sure nonetheless when you run the end around it's not a trick play but it's it's a different play you run it five plays earlier you gain nine yards very successful even if it wasn't fourth down, why go back to it five, five six plays later? I don't understand that. But it's fourth and inches, and I, I know Tennessee cannot run up the middle at all uh, uh, during Saturday night. But BYU, that's what they – as I've said it
0: before, I don't care what skill players they have or who's their quarterback, BYU is guaranteed to beat you somewhere, shape or form, and that position usually is not aligned. line. Yeah. Offensive or defensively, they've got some hog mollies up there who've got NFL contracts waiting for them that will eat you alive.
1: Why in the world are you calling an end around right there? I have no clue. But nonetheless, you know Tennessee, a much improved football game. Um, obviously, was it perfect? No, there were still misalignments. Tom Luganbill, the field analyst for ESPN. By the way, I want to be called a field analyst. I'm going to be called a sideline reporter anymore. You sound analyst. Field analyst. You sound so much more supreme being called a field analyst well people, uh, it's so funny because people always ask what is that person on the uh, in the dugout always called there's no sidelines because i just don't
0: know what they call baseball they're called field analysts so if you say field analyst about the only place you can't you know usually fans. it's courtside reporter yeah between the benches and hockey and then it's you say field reporter and that covers both football and baseball yeah there you, yeah, go.
1: There you go um but Tom Luganville, who's the field analyst for the television broadcast, he did say Tennessee, of the three timeouts call, it was because Tennessee was misaligned. So there were still some alignment issues, not like Georgia State, though. Um, but, I mean, overall, I thought a very much improved football team. Now Tennessee's going to play, you know, the majority of the schedule is going to be better than BYU. Yeah. So improvements still have to be made, you know, from now until then. But um, I don't know, for me at least, like if I'm a fan, obviously you're you're punched in the gut. No excuse for the way you lost. No excuse for Georgia State. Sure. But taking the performance from week one to week two, something to build on at least. Taking out, taking out, we'll talk about the quarterback in a minute, taking that out of the equation. But everything else, I mean, something to build on.
0: Uh, I I hate that we should just focus on BYU because really it's with every loss, the wart gets bigger. So you kind of combine some of the mishandlings coaching-wise, player-wise from both games. Do you know Tennessee has turned the ball over now on downs four times in the first two games? Sounds I mean, about right. I eventually you've got to ask yourself how many times are you going to hit on 20. Sometimes it's just what's the smart play here. Kind of goes back to Will's
1: comments this morning. Out loud say it. Does this make sense? And if it doesn't, walk away. And wasn't it the – Flip op- the page. Wasn't it the opening drive, or excuse me, not the opening drive, you uh, fumbled on that, but wasn't it the Tennessee's touchdown scoring drive against Georgia State, Then they – didn't Tennessee go for it on fourth and, like, five and score a touchdown? Yeah. Wasn't that the Callaway yeah. play? No, no, Jalen Jennings.
0: Georgia State. Callaway in the corner?
1: Yeah. No, that wasn't fourth down. Okay. Well, ten- against Georgia State in that first half, Tennessee went for it on, like, fourth and three or fourth and four, converted. But Tennessee can't convert on fourth and inches. Right. You know, it's just kind of weird. I mean, that's football. That's football. But, um, but you know right.
0: what? To that being said, other side of the coin, applaud Tennessee for taking a risk and actually saying we're going to go win the game. We're not settling for three. Now, granted – in that Georgia State game, there's many times they could have been within a school, more than just 8, 12, 15 points, whatever the difference was. And in the BYU game, a couple of those times you went for fourth down, you were in field goal range. No. Game's over. Now, granted, how many yeah, – you and said you we'll get to ha- Garantano in a minute. He missed probably three wide open receivers. That would have resulted
1: in six. Garantano alone left 21 points, at least 21 points sure. off the board on just three plays. Sure. Uh, now, that doesn't go into account that if you would have converted on, you know, second down of the drive, you know, prior – what could have happened but three plays at least he left 21 points off the board um you know it's not a good situation with the quarterback i mean we can go ahead and talk about it if you want to i mean talk about a guy that has started a lot of football games he's a fourth year junior this is his fourth offensive coordinator uh, the best offensive coordinator he's ever had the line is a little bit improved still not great but it's better than what it was sure um we all expected garantano to take a step up this year And so far this season, he's doing stuff that we've never seen him do before. Uh, It's all neck up. I mean, he's throwing into double coverage. He's not scanning the field. He's late on seeing Juwan Jennings. He's not even seeing Palmer the very next play. Um, Going to Juwan Jennings when he had double coverage underneath and not lobbing into the end zone uh, to give him a play, Uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, You know, throwing a bullet pass to Ty Chandler in the back. Like, we're seeing stuff we've never seen out of Garantano before. Um, And that's alarming. It's like he he can still make the throws. The ability is still there. But a guy that has prided himself on protecting the football, five interceptions prior to this season, uh, coming into this year. um, But he's making horrible decisions right now. It's so weird. It's, I I don't I, I'm not a quarterbacks coach I'm not a quarterback I don't know what's going on. You know, in years past, you would see him make some of those
0: decisions, and you're like, "All right, you missed this guy. You didn't get the ball out of your hands quick enough with the blitz. You did a bad job of picking up this, but at least, but at least he wasn't making boneheaded decisions of, hey, you got away with it this time. Next time, you're not going to be so lucky." Those, at least last year you could live with Garantano because he wouldn't get you in trouble this year it's like not only are you having some of those old habits starting to rear its ugly head but you're making bad decisions on top of it so again I referenced Scooby Doo today I bet we could tie him down to a chair and rip the mask off and see it's not Garantano, and we'd look all over the stadium wherever they're hiding the Kentucky beer barrel wherever they're hiding some of these things at Neyland Stadium and the athletic department Garantano is somewhere Tied to a chair, banging a soup can I against saw, a pipe, hoping somebody will hear him.
1: I saw a funny tweet. Ah, uh, Longest yard. Who was the Who was the guy that was the kicker, the backup quarterback, the the funny one? Oh, Brucey. Brucey <laughs> said, "This isn't Garantano. This is Brucey from the yeah. longest yard." <laughs> yeah. Um. But I mean, you know, all this stuff. You say all this stuff. It's fixable. It's not the end of the world. It's fixable. And I mean, a guy that is mature like Garantano, he can hopefully turn it around quickly. But I'm again. I just go back to. You've never seen. I mean, he would hold on to the football and get drilled and take sacks uh, rather than put the ball in harm's way last year. And so that's just, I don't know. It's weird. And, And again, this is against Georgia State and BYU, which is better, but this is not Alabama. This is not Georgia. This is not in the swamp. I mean, it could get worse. And again, all this talk about. Oh, uh, you know, J.T. Stroud, Brian Mauer, da 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 And, I mean, yeah, I mean, the backup quarterback is always the most popular player on each team. And I get that. Fans are frustrated, as fans should be. Um, I can say this, though, that they're, Garantano is the, the best guy for the job. But J.T. Stroud and Brian Mauer are not ready. And I know fans might be saying, well, well, how do you know until you see him? How do you know until you see him? Well if the phone picks in practice if they're missing on air air routes
0: i I'll trust the coach's decisions yeah. that they've seen mauer and Shroud. i think this would be different
1: if you're it. in the situation last year with when keller christ is on the team right by all means open up the job at can or at, at practice that week let the guy who had the best uh, best week go at it if that's what you want to do but that's just there's not a keller christ there's not a josh Dobbs. There's no one I mean, there's no one else on this roster that's the that snapped. I mean, you have Casey Hill, he's ineligible, though this year. You would out. think
0: you would think that Tennessee fans would think this through. Go to somebody else. What happens if you immediately jerk Garantano off the top of the depth chart? Start somebody else and they're no better or they're worse. What are you gonna do? Exhaust all your options and try to get a demoralized, then you gotta start worrying about confidence of Garantano. Right now, look, as much as it's a lot physical, what we're seeing,
1: actions on the field,
0: you got to think about also the mental capacity of a guy yeah. like that.
1: I mean, in, in no way, shape, or form is there a quarterback controversy right now. There's
0: I, not. I was listening to Josh Ward hey, the other real day. Quick, look at a guy like a Jersey guy.
1: Number one dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school.
0: He's brash. He's got some things. He says the right things, but... You never know how fragile, and I'm not saying Garantano in any way, shape, or form is fragile. I'm just saying, look, loud personality. He's from Jersey. If he doesn't show it, he's got it. No. Yeah. You know, he was. He has all this positive press coming out of high school, you know, kind of took a back seat and had to swallow a jagged pill whenever he lost a to gig to, to, to Q, to, to quit Dormady. But then since then, the transition from Dormady's shoulder injury, injury in quotes, to Garantano, he had to fight off Chris. There has not been somebody in camp thus far who has been better than Garantano since he took over the job from Dormity two years ago.
1: And, hey, I mean, the way Garantano's playing this year, if he continues to progress and – or regress and say JT trial gets better and better throughout the week, hey, who knows? But it's just it's, – it's not time yet. I can tell you, I mean, I've been to practice, and from my own vantage point, my own two eyes, no, not close, not close. Um, but, again, I understand the questions there, but – um, you just got to hope that your veteran quarterback can turn it around and he and Chaney can find that rhythm, find that sync, because it's not there. And I thought Chaney called a pretty good game. Again, I absolutely can't put into words how much I hated that fourth and inches call. I thought it was the dumbest call all weekend in all college football. I thought it was the stupidest play call ever. But I thought Chaney called a pretty good game on on Saturday night. Um, but <laughs> there were positives. Yeah, There was no switching the offensive line. Consistency like Not as much, down. not as much. I will say this. So, against Georgia State, eight offensive linemen played. Against BYU, seven played. Jerome Carvin did not see the field. For the most part, they found five and they, they, they played. And I'll admit, when they pulled Ryan Johnson, he missed a blitz. And it was like, you don't pick that up, you're out. Yeah, and uh, Ryan Johnson set the pine there for about three or four series, and Riley Locklear came in. There was one drive in particular – in the second half, in the third quarter. And I believe Tennessee had a turnover on downs on this. So the starting five was, and I thought this would be the starting five against uh, Georgia State because it would make most sense. Jameer Johnson, Trey Smith, Brandon Kennedy, Ryan Johnson, Marcus Tatum, all vets, all vets. Okay? That was the starting five. The That, that unit played the first three series of the game. And then it was they flipped – they, uh, and then it was Wanya Morris, Trey Smith, Brandy Kennedy, Riley Locklear, Darnell Wright. No, I made notes. But there was one combination in the third quarter that you came out. It was Jameer Johnson. I'm going left right. Jameer Johnson, Wanya Morris, again, why? You have an 18-year-old playing left tackle on the SEC. That's hard enough. Why put him at guard in the same game? In my opinion, that's stupid. Um, but, hey, I'm not a coach. Jameer Johnson, Wanya Morris, Brandy Kennedy, Riley Locklear, Darnell Wright. You've never seen that combination ever and again. No. But then they, but then like a couple plays later, it was Jameer Johnson out, Wanya Morris at left tackle, Trey Smith in, Ryan Johnson in, and then they went back to the old one. So I, there was one play, there was one drive in the second half where Tennessee rotated seven offensive linemen in on that one drive, and I have no clue why. But outside of that, I thought, to your point, the rotation simmered down a little bit. It was more of the same five. I think right now, I think Jameer Johnson is your best offensive lineman. It's really praised him. He is such a head case. You can see it at practice. And he weighs like 280. He's a skinny guy. I think right now he's playing the best. He got praise. Darnell Wright, Brandon Kennedy fell into
0: that group as well. So my whole thing is this. You're getting to the point in time now. You better find who your best five are because you're now ten days away from going to Florida.
1: I think it's evident Brandon Kennedy is your center because he's played every single snap at center. (laughs) Um, When Trey Smith's not playing well, I'm I'm just going to say it right now. But Trey Smith is your best player on the team. Right when he's right. So Trey Smith's your left guard. I'd rather have Trey out there than anyone else. Sure. Um, I think Riley Locklear. Or sorry, I think Jameer Johnson's your best tackle on the left side. I think Darnell Wright is close to being ready at right tackle. He didn't play hardly any against BYU, but I think Darnell Wright's close to being a right tackle. And right now I think Riley Locklear is outplaying Ryan Johnson at guard, and I, I like Ryan Johnson. I think he's uh, he's always good with us, the media. He's very versatile. But uh, I think Riley Locklear is outplaying him. So that would kind of be my five right now. Um, you know, Marcus Tatum, to Will's point, Marcus Tatum is probably one of your better run blockers. Struggles in pass sets, man. Just struggles. It's part of it. Uh, we're darn outright. a lot better. So, we'll see. Um, I hate the rotation of the offensive line. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. I think it's football one. how you really feel. Not a big fan of it.
0: Not a big fan at all? Not a huh? big fan of it. No.
1: See, I do high school football broadcasts every single week. Do ask, you know? Ask me how many high school programs in East Tennessee rotate offensive linemen. Probably none. None? In two years? None? I've probably seen, you know, 70 high school football games in the last two years doing multiple games a week. And none. But the University of Tennessee does. Dumb. It's not smart. Not a fan.
0: These are things you need to have figured out before August 31 in Georgia State. There you go.
1: And now it's or, September 11. Or do what Tennessee was trying to do. Sure. Work out the kinks and win the football game against sure. Georgia State. You're just not good enough right now. You're not. Yeah, you're not. But yeah, I got it.
0: And hey, look, know. here's my whole thing. You don't have the answers yet, even though you should. How long is it going to take you to get the answers? looked like they were heading in the right direction a couple of days ago against BYU. Yeah. But to me, Tennessee just didn't finish. Mm -hmm. If Tennessee finished, and I'll tell you, man, watch the Tennessee. Go back and if you can if they have any camera angles from the ESPN broadcast. Because I looked across the field. I didn't see a a single person that has a nameplate on the back of their jersey that was getting their team hyped up. Not even – maybe I missed Juwan Jennings, but I thought I saw him. Everybody that was certainly the like, case okay, in the first we, quarter. Let's see if we can get out of here. Let's see if we can get out of here with a win. Oh, cool. We won the toss. Let's put him on offense first and see if our defense
1: can do something here. Not making an excuse because it shouldn't have been this way, but I. T- God. when you give up that 65-yard play or whatever, 64-yard yep. play, and then you, you they tie it up on a, on a field goal there at the very Which end. from
0: my angle, I couldn't see it, but the way Tennessee fans reacted, I thought he missed it. It went oh, right it, over the top. You
1: can never tell from up top, um, but I watched the next day. I watched the 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 angle on the on the television. I'm like, oh my god, that looks like it missed. And then they showed the up down. I'm like, oh yeah, that's in there. Yeah. But nonetheless, the way you lost or the way you got tied up and went in overtime. I mean, just just takes the air out of you. And, and you got to fight through that. You have to fight, no excuse. You got to fight through that. And, um, but that is so tough. That is. I want to talk about that last play. But um, I want to ask you a question. We'll ask it. I, I think Monday or Tuesday on the morning show, and I think it's fair. Talking about how Tennessee, I said it earlier, virtually dominated on defense, running the football, controlling the clock, until the fourth quarter when they needed to run the football and you just couldn't. Is there a strength and conditioning problem? Is it fair to say that these guys are not in shape? Um, because the fourth quarter is when you got to have it.
0: I just think the guys that you relied on the most to will you across the line, they were they were shot. They were done. Usually that's during the game usually are like, all right, take two or three here, take two or three there. You were in a dogfight for four quarters. You didn't have a chance to find kind of that momentum <laughs> swing here, take a breather here, all right, we need you back out there on the third down. I mean, Daryl Taylor, To'o to, a lot of those guys, they were asked to go out there, Latrell Bumpus, and play
1: 95%, 97% of the play. Henry To'o is my favorite football player in the world right now. In the world? I've got – not the world. I've got I've got I I am so high on that kid. that's literally like 8 years younger than me. I'm so high on him right now. I love the way he plays. <laughs> it's a great And then I he was made available to the media yesterday. I mean,
0: surprising he was.
1: I say kid. I mean, he literally looks like a guy that was just in high school cuz he was just in high school, and he's out there and he's out there in the, trying to will
0: Tennessee to Ws.
1: Yeah. Oh man, I love the way he plays. Love the way he plays. So smart and ins- intuitive. Runs the alley, doesn't go under blocks, goes over them. But uh, he's a bright spot. Eric Gray's a bright spot. Let's talk about that that last play. Um, G- <laughs> hey, Jeremy Pruitt is mad, and hey, the way you I mean can't can't fault him for being for being a little PO. Um, you know, Jimmy, first question in the game, Jeremy, what defense were you in? <laughs> the kind where you don't let a guy get behind you for seventy yards, Jimmy. You, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> They're running cover three. They didn't need to be in prevent because they still had some time. But I mean, you, you could play off a little bit. You could play more or less what Houston was doing in New Orleans the other sure. night. You don't have to be in prevent, but you know. Um, Playing cover three. And so uh, just don't let anybody behind you. That's Especially the, the situation of the time on the clock, no timeouts, deep in its own territory. Don't let anyone behind you. Um, when you have cover three, obviously you have a deep third. Lawrence Taylor had a deep third. Nigel Warrior had the middle third. But you can come over and get some help over the top. It was nowhere to be found. Uh, I will say this. I don't know what happened. I, I've gone back and watched it on television so many times. I don't know if he thought he was breaking out. I don't know if Taylor slipped. I, and plus the angle you don't really get a good angle too, to be honest. so I don't know I can watch it on television so many times. I don't know if he thought he was breaking out. I don't know if Taylor slipped. I, and plus the angle you don't really get a good angle too, to be honest. so I don't know what happened there, but I will say this. First of all, that's a big X. You can't let that happen. But Nigel Warrior, if you make that tackle at the 50-yard line, they run up and spike it because, again, no timeouts, they have to throw a Hail mary to, to win the game. And, you know, let's be the real. The arm yeah. tackle by Nigel. Okay, look. Elante let's be real. Taylor, they probably bad. complete the Hail mary because it's Tennessee. But, you know. But
0: Lante Taylor, bad. He didn't know the assignment that Nigel Warrior was going to help him. He wasn't there. Yeah. So and you can see by the time he, he thought he had him, he was trying to play the avenue play. And he turned and looked. And by the time he turned to see where he was, he was already three yards past him. And then great throw by Zach Wilson. And then Nigel Warrior, the way he was kind of coming in, it was a horrible angle. And then when he realized he was going to get beat, instead of just all out losing him, he tried to arm tackle him. And it was just like, no, don't go for the ball. Try to take him down. Now, granted, hindsight's twenty twenty. If I'm Alante Taylor, I keep my eyes on him the entire time, and if I think I'm getting beat, you know what I'm doing? Tackling him. I'm yep. dragging him to the ground and only moving BYU. Not only do they lose seven to eight seconds on the play, but they it's only
1: a 15-yard move. You are so deep in your own territory. It's third and whatever. No timeouts. And, I mean, you literally have to go 50 yards, 60 yards to get in field goal range. And, you know, hey, credit Alante Taylor. He chased him down because that could have been game over. Chased him down, made the tackle. But I'd say this: as bad as Alante Taylor was on that one play, Nigel Warrior even worse. You make that tackle; it, it's game. You made that tackle; it's game.
0: Why is he going for the ball? I don't
1: know. I don't Why know. is he going for the ball? I don't know. What
0: are you gonna do? Pop it out and be like, "Oh, he stole!" No, come on. But that's so
1: Tennessee. I mean, I'm sitting in the press box. I'm like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> one sec. Are you serious? Like, what? I was about to pack. I-, I was packing myself down. I was about to head on down there, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, those poor." souls in the stadium who brought it all four quarters both overtimes and had no reason to go back I'm gonna be real with you I mean if 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 I was a diehard you know if the Tennessee Titans lost to MTSU I wouldn't go back to Nissan Stadium you know what I'm saying like no disrespect to Georgia State but I'm trying to put it in comparison here like but credit Tennessee fans went back loud Passionate, ninety thousand plus were right in there. Yeah, the uh, the announcement was ninety two. I don't know if Jimmy ever gave a calculation. I, I never saw one. If he did, but I would say it was close to probably ninety. Um, we we always talk about the the water, the water bottle. You know, when we're sitting in the press box, and when you can see it shaking. It's called the-, the Jurassic Park. Yeah, T Rex is coming, and you
0: see the cup of water inside the SUV start shaking. Kickoff of that game, I just looked at my water bottle, and you
1: could see the
0: you could see the mm-hmm. little
1: motion inside the water. I mean, it was loud. Yeah. So I mean. Credit Tennessee fans and I mean if fans want to be upset, by all means. You have every right to. Like I you know, I, I think I think we should all still be logical and think think properly, but still.
0: how you keep getting kicked in the groin. Exactly.
1: So, you know, when when people are coming for Garantano's head, I don't agree with it, but do your thing. Like, you know, you're mad, frustrated. It is what it is. I don't know. I just it, it's inexcusable. I will say this though guy Uh, by the way vol calls i am i am going tonight i have plans i am meeting people at calhoun's i will be there eric kane live on the scene i give a full report tomorrow morning uh let's go to eric he's in front of us eric go ahead
0: hey coach good morning hey Uh, coach
1: i'm about i'm about three beers in here uh we say good morning to coach good morning coach hey coach good morning eight Uh, (laughs) o'clock good morning (laughs) eight o'clock at night good morning i felt uh, by the way i felt awful last thursday because you know we were saying all that and i was laughing i was like man if anybody's hearing me, they're probably thinking I'm making fun of people. And I like, we're all laughing together, together. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. But the highlight of my week is listening to Vol Calls. They oh, sure. are hilarious. Sure. Now i set up the Jerry in Blountville, Tennessee. Hey, Coach, go Vols. Uh, I just want to say uh, I believe in Yens and uh, love it. I love it. It embodies East Tennessee. But one of those callers last week said, Coach, do you have the passion, do you have the want to, essentially, to be the head football coach at Tennessee? And he said, well, absolutely I do running through the tee if you didn't get goosebumps he was blocking people off I'm sitting there I'm like mm, I got chills I was ready to roll that was fun so it's a missed opportunity man I just I, I can I cannot I cannot I mean I'm not emotionally invested so it, do, it doesn't hurt me I it hurts me for the fans sure um I just I just can't I don't see how in the world Tennessee lost that game I just I just don't it's crazy
0: I've rewatched it one and a half times now. First time, just fast forward to the commercials. Second time, I know. Oh, this is a four or three and out, so I will just fast forward the drive and just watching some of those big scoring plays and how it developed. And I was just like, missed assignment, miss blitz."
1: MAs, MAs.
0: I think you just chalk it up for what it is. Tennessee didn't finish, and it all kind of compiled near the end.
1: Gentlemen's hour podcast. Well, uh, yeah. Gentlemen's hour. when you do too many podcasts and you say the name of the podcast you second guess yourself that's when you work too much this is the gentleman's hour podcast yeah Tyler Robbins Johnson sometimes
0: we're not so gentlemanly
1: Eric Kane barley's tap room down here in the old city uh Apple Podcasts, Google play sports radio WNML.com. com that was funny um UTC comes up uh, if we've learned anything in the last month it's let's not get let's not uh you know guarantee anything but uh line opened sh- at twenty eight should be a dub. What was the line for Georgia State? 24
0: and a half. 24. Six and a half. close 20. to twenty
1: six and a half. Okay. BYU
0: was a pickem, or uh, uh, it was BYU. it was three and a half Tennessee. It was essentially a pickem. Yeah. Should be a dub.
1: Should be. I will say this: If guarantee, is it crazy if I say
0: Tennessee isn't going to cover this game?
1: Is not or is? It's not. I mean, I
0: like thirty-one-seven.
1: I I think that'd be crazy to say. I mean, I think Tennessee's going to. Especially the, if, if it runs a football like it did last week. Is Tennessee
0: going to blow the doors off Chattanooga? I,
1: I honestly, I, I really do think so. I think all this pent-up frustration, anger, the way the season's gone so Are far. Are they just going to
0: take it out on every person beside them and just, just yeah. blow? Defensive line has no idea what's coming, and they're just going to get knocked off the ball? I think so.
1: And then uh, you head down to the Swamp. <sighs> where you've won twice since 1951. Not good. <laughs> Now again that stat is so misleading though. Tennessee and Florida they they, they put play the, every year. They put the series on hold. They used to play in Tampa, but the fact of the matter is Tennessee has won twice since 51 in Florida, I believe. It's not good. 5 times overall. Casey Clawson, last time he was the quarterback.
0: September or supposed to be the September 11 game. It got moved to December 1. Yeah. 0 01. Travis Stevens had a lot to say in that game. Hey, and you want know what? Shouts to me for remembering Troy Fleming had the opening salvo in that game. Yeah, I, dude, I just remember where I was December first. There was a lot going on because I knew everybody was like, "Well, Tennessee, you got a chance to win it now because the game has been moved to December." And LSU was just licking their chops, and everybody was just like, uh, "We'd rather we don't know." LSU just they kind of didn't know who they wanted because both teams presented so much. And then when they got Tennessee, everybody was just like, "Yeah, LSU might be a little bit better than the Vols." But Tennessee, the momentum of winning in the swap as you get to play LSU the very next week. How many Tennessee fans shut up in Atlanta ready to hey, steal Hey, by that the game?
1: way, you you do a show with Troy and Eric Ainge, College Football Today, every Saturday. It is always three and a half – no, it's always two and a half hours before kickoff. Yeah. And it's on uh, 107.7 WIVK as well as the Sports Animal. Hey, you and Eric, shut up and let Troy talk more, man. Troy says some great stuff. But, you know, Eric, he hogs out Mike. It's, you know, it's Eric. And then, you know, you. Um what
0: do I do besides set up the questions and let the VFLs go at it?
1: Well, more in that show, more or less, you set up the question and everything, and then uh, Eric will say something, and then you guys will go back and forth, and Eric will try to argue with you. That's more or less what it is. It's, 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 it's mostly what I'm getting at. It, Eric's the problem. Eric is the issue.
0: I'm sure he'll hear this podcast and we'll. Oh, I'm sure Eric I'm listens to this podcast. Sure, Eric will listen to this podcast. Yeah, and I'm sure he'll be like, "Let's look at this Caner guy."
1: <laughs> no, Troy says some great stuff on there too, man. And he does uh, he does the final scoreboard show with John, I believe. Yeah, uh, after the game too. So uh, Troy's got some good stuff. But look, yeah, look at you. Remember, by the way, I looked up his stats that game. Two carries, two yards, one reception, two yards, touchdown. The catch was the touchdown. Yep. I remember the little dump. I'm like what who fleming what's all he-, oh, he scored <laughs> cuz at first i was just like where are you going with the Fle- oh there it is i remember when fleming played for the titans you know that's kind of when i started to know who he was cuz i mean remember i mean i was in 01 i mean i was barely 7 years old so i mean oh, i don't was don't remind me i was so young that i couldn't really remember what was going on but you know but i remember when fleming played for the titans played for a couple years the fact that you were born in 94 blows me away Constant reminder that you're so much more younger than I am. Uh, we got a couple of minutes here. We'll get back to Tennessee football, looking ahead, but today is September 11th. Yeah. Um, I was in third grade. I remember, I'll never, you know, it's, it's one of those historical moments in your life. You'll never forget where you were, obviously. Um, you know, I was in third grade. We saw what we were doing. We watched everything go, happen on television. Went home, asked my mom what all this meant, what was going on. Had pizza in for the end of that night. I remember everything about that day, literally. Um, you're still seeing the effects today, 18 years later. Firefighters, EMS, you know, first responders, um, you know, getting that 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 smoke in their lungs. You're still you're still seeing the fallout to today. Um, horrible, horrible thing that happened, but obviously you never want to forget what happened.
0: I don't remember his name. I want to say that it was. Coach Brown. I can't remember who my algebra two teacher was that year. I'm almost certain it was Coach Brown. Now that I think about it,
1: sure went out. Um, sure went geometry or whatever it was. Chemistry. Chemistry. Sure that's why. I, gets that's why
0: I thought Coach because Coach Brown taught both, taught both. And I was like, well, sure skipper. No, that'd have been economics. Um, Coach Brown. I'm almost certain it was Coach Brown. Early, obviously. Remember the timeline. Sophomore, and he turned the TV on. Um, After the first plane hit, and I told my buddy beside me, I was just like, do you remember Corey Lytle? And my buddy was like, did we go to school with him? And I was like, no, pitcher for the Phillies, the Yankee. And, you know, if you don't remember, Corey Lytle had his pilot's license and was flying around the Hudson and crashed into a building. So at first I was just like, gosh, man, they got to start being And John. When we were talking about it before we went on, there was a particular incident where somebody was foggy one morning and somebody crashed into the Empire State Building. So at that time I clearly didn't remember. Yeah. But I thought this was a lie, or another Corey Lytle situation.
1: Then you're like, oh, bigger building, bigger plane.
0: Well, see, at the time, I didn't know it was a commercial plane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I heard my coach or that's why I heard him just be like, oh my god! And I looked up, and I had time to like look around, and I saw the flames coming out of the second building, and that's when we knew, okay, this is so not was, an accident.
1: So you were what freshman, sophomore? I mean, you were in high school, right? Sophomore, yeah, yeah. And so I mean, you know, we're we're sitting there in the third grade class, and I remember my my teacher said you know my husband is flying today I don't he wasn't in New York but he was flying and so she was freaking out you know obviously because you don't know where you know before cell phones and all this stuff you know anyone that had a cell phone they didn't like it you know and didn't know where you were about and wasn't a a world of social media and um, so she was freaking out we watched the whole thing my best friend's father was in New York that morning and you know, just remember, he came and spoke to us months later, and he was like, you know, holding up pictures of people running away, and like, you know, he was like, "This is what I saw." Like, this is, you know, it's just so graphic, you know. And you rent a car and drove home because you weren't about to get on a plane. But um, you know, so I many. I've seen a lot of uh, pieces as well on you know Sports Center, you know ESPN, Fox, about you know athletes' lives that were impacted by nine eleven. Adam Schefter, are you kidding me? You've seen that documentary. You've seen that story, no. right? Well, Adam Schefter's wife right now and stepson, you know, their her husband, his father, was in one of the towers that fell. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how – I forgot how Schefter met his wife now and everything. But, you know, it's like, a, like the, his legacy is a big part of, like, who they are now as a family because, you know, 9-11 and the child and everything. And that's just – I I it's been years since I've seen it, but it's it's really good. It's probably on YouTube if you want to go check it out. She just top in Shefter nine eleven, but um, man, it's like as it, far away as we get from that date back in oh one. It's I can still it's so graphic. It's you know I can still remember every single thing about it. And of course, George W. Bush comes out that night, addresses you know the nation, and what was it, ten years later. Ten, eleven years later, when when uh, the Navy SEALs went in and and finally got him,
0: I remember it was a Sunday night game in Philadelphia. Yeah. The Mets and Phillies were playing, and I was sitting in my living room, mom's living room. I was watching the game, and you could hear chanting going on in the background. And the field mics weren't as loud, so you just figured it was Phillies and Mets fans. It's fighting. USA chant, right? Yeah, fighting for yeah. their chance. And next thing you know it, you just hear U.S. and the camera cuts before Don. I think it was Dan Schulman who was calling the game. And they were showing like a Met and Philly fan together, like chanting. They were like, you know, Can you believe this would bring these t-? You know, if you're wondering why Mets fans and Phillies fans are getting together in a USA chant, you know, they're all like high fiving each other. And it's just like, What is happening? And I obviously, Twitter wasn't, you know, yeah, yeah. social media wasn't what it was now. And then Dan Schulman is like, If you're wondering why Citizens Bank Park is erupting now. President Barack Obama has announced Osama bin Laden
1: has been, exa- you know, yeah. assassinated or exterminated or has been killed. I saw the quote. That, do you remember what the quote is, John, from from President Bush that night? I saw the quote this morning. It just gave me chills reading. It was the night, you know, the night when he addressed the nation saying, you know, something about enemies in America, but they will not, you know, they'll, they'll they will got- not prosper or something yeah, like that. They'll get God is essentially what he said, yeah. and then, you know, boom, so – I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's crazy. but
0: And I'll tell you, it's funny you bring that all up because sports makes you emotional.
1: You live through sports. Sometimes
0: sports is kind of the...
1: I've never seen people get emotional about football here in Knoxville before. Yeah, right.
0: Uh, just things that just sometimes overtake you and you just overcome to emotions. I've only cried once at a sporting event or cried at a sporting event once. And I remember where I was... When Piazza hit the home run against Atlanta. It was the first sporting event back in New York.
1: It was what, uh, like, it was September 20th, wasn't it? It was like almost ten days, nine, ten days. I want to say it was the 21st. Okay, so it well, yeah. yeah. And they all wore the hats. I remember, because Chipper played in that game, and I remember him doing an interview about it. But, uh, yeah, Piazza, was, was that the game winner? Or was it, did he just home run it? It was two game?
0: to one. Okay. Bottom of the eighth. Yeah. Steve Carsey was on the mound. Piazza notorious for swinging at the first pitch. First pitch, Carse comes up and throws a P just right down the middle. I mean, like batting batting practice with, like, 20 more miles on it. And people are just like, are you serious? Like, Piazza always swings first pitch. And this sucker was literally fired right down the middle. And, like, you see, like, Piazza, like, step out. He, like, kind of, like, Piazza usually – it's so funny – Not to make this a mess thing, but watching Mike as long as I did. I idolized him growing up. Piazza would always come in, one swing, two swing, getting that crouch. Here he comes, first pitch. You know he's going to swing right down the middle. And then usually Piazza just takes one step out of the box and just looks at his bat, readjusts his hands where they should be on the handle, and then gets right back and does that casual swing, and he's ready to go. He takes that first pitch strike. He completely steps out of the batter's box, hits his cleats both times, kind of in a way of like – damn it, why would I let that go? And also, like, my head's not in this at bat. And you could kind of see him, like, just stare off. Like, he's not looking as bad. Well, there were
1: so many helicopters and planes going over. that I I remember that. And,
0: like, you could see him just kind of, like, take a deep breath and then, like, wiggle his bat and kind of look at the crowd. And you could see it from the dugout. It's facing him. The dugout camera's facing him. And he's just kind of like. (sighs) And then he steps back in, very next pitch, just a little higher, but it's down the middle, and Piazza just tanks it. And what I hate about that is that's such a magical moment, and the crowd just erupts, and there's people crying, and we believe, USA, and you've got, like, bagpipers from the New York Police Department high-fiving each other, because there's cops for security all over the stadium. Mm -hmm. And then I just remember that being the moment where I was, like, overcome, just like, oh, my God, he just went. It was bottom of the eighth, so they started to get to the ninth.
1: Yeah.
0: And Benita slammed the door, and it just was like... Oh, my God. Not only was it the heart of a playoff race because the Mets were chasing the Braves, as they often did, but just for one. And then watching, like, Bobby Cox and, like, Bobby Valentine embrace and Chipper, who so many people were just considered the enemy. And it just was like, oh, man, it was incredible. Yeah. And I hate it, too, because, like, I have a friend, too, and I bust his chops, and obviously that's not the case. But to this day, sometimes he'll give me hell. He's like, oh, you guys needed that one. That's why Carse threw two straight batting practices over the Mets. It's like... You think Steve Carr, say, went on the mound like, I'm going to make this city. I was like, come on, dude. It was just – don't take away from the moment. Sports do have a way of
1: kind of amending a broken heart or mending. You know, – So-so running on the field with the
0: Cubs. He always ran on the field. Everybody – and he had the American flag. Yeah. And just like
1: – I know, mean, you know, with military
0: guy – or the, the former military football players running out of the tunnel with the flag and spiking – it's just –
1: the Boston Marathon, when that whole, whole ordeal happened, and then David Ortiz goes over and takes the mic and, you know. This Poppy, started.
0: the only guy who could probably say this oh, is yeah. our effing city and not get in trouble for it. They're like, nah,
1: it's fine. It's Poppy. Uh, Look what's happened. It's but Poppy. But I will, I will never – and I've, I've referenced this. You know, in, in the summer around Fourth of July, we always have our most, you know, our patriotic moments in sports and stuff. So we've had this conversation before, and i talked about it again this morning. But probably one of my favorite moments in sports ever, ever was in 01 when President Bush gets out there. With a dad blame bulletproof vest on that weighs like forty more pa- puts forty more pounds of weight on him, and then when you see the documentary years later, he was like, "I couldn't throw, like I was so scared I was gonna airmail it, roll it, and like, I mean, this is a big moment, you know, this is Game Three of the World Series, first game in New York since nine eleven. He was super nervous, all these things. And, oh, and by the way, security was on high alert because someone thought they were gonna assassinate the president, and they told him, and he was like, "I'm still doing this." So you have all that going on right now, and you go there, and he just throws a piss missile right down the middle. Did you? Uh, oh. The, my, my
0: favorite part about that was he was warming up, and they were zipping him up and getting him ready for everything just to have this 20 to 25 seconds on the field, and Jeter was walking from the clubhouse, the locker room, from the clubhouse to the yeah. dugout, and Jeter wasn't even going to, you know, Jeter wasn't going to bother me. He was going to walk right past me, and I stepped out and was like, Derek, how are you? and course, Jeter stopped and shook his hand, and he was just like, so, you know, they had a quick little embrace, and he said, I'll never forget it, Jeter walks past me, and I look at the baseball, and Jeter gets about seven or eight steps, and stops and turns and looks back at him, and goes, don't bounce it, they'll boot you, (laughs) and then Bush gets out there, gives a thumbs up to the crowd on the middle, right there in the middle of the diamond, or on the rubber, and just looks down, the guy's ready to receive the pitch, and you (laughs) just... And just drops it right there. I mean, there were some pictures that night, of how cold it was in that moment and energy. Mm. There's some pitchers who couldn't get any of their pitches over that good. And he, I told Kander today on the air, you could have put a dime in the glove and he would have hit it. Yeah. It was incredible. I mean, I mean
1: that moment, I mean, I'm, I'm getting chills just thinking about it right there. Because I mean, like, you know, World Series back in New York. And that's the only time, I mean, I, I'm not like a huge Yankee hater anymore. But like growing up, it was just like, I don't know why, but growing up, it was always like, ooh, the Yankees, bad, hate them. One of them loots every game. Raised the right way. Yeah. I'm <laughs> kidding. And so, you know, I'll never forget my mom was there too. My mom, we were rooting so hard for the Yankees to win that World Series just simply because of everything that happened. But obviously the Diamondbacks got them. But um, that is probably one of my favorite moments. That That is my favorite moment in all sports. And, you know, th- this didn't come from a tragedy or anything, but, you know, it lacks in popularity here in the United States. But when 2017 Adam Jones, Marcus Stroman, the World Baseball Classic, huh? Team USA, love it. I love it.
0: But the Yankees didn't get that World Series win that year. That would have been four consecutive titles for them. Yeah. But then you have Luis Gonzalez hit that little blooper over Jeter's head with Mo on the mound and mm-hmm. the Diamondbacks won. And Everyone's like, how? The Yankees are America's team. How How can they not win the World Series? Well, wait about three months later because some team called the New England Patriots and Tom Brady are going to win their one first Super Bowl against the Rams. And then later, it's all clouded because of Spygate, and did they know the defensive play call? And then they're going to have
1: some guy by the name of Antonio Brown fall in their lap, and you know, I'll just wait well. a couple
0: days because there's going to be a sexual harassment or sexual, you know, lawsuit no, put up against thing. him.
1: But nonetheless, you know, nine eleven. Obviously, you can never forget. It's a huge part of our uh, country's history. And um, man, if you if you're listening to this, and you were somehow, I mean, we're all affected by nine eleven. Obviously. If you're ever you know, personally affected by you know nine eleven thoughts and prayers continue for you and your family. But um, 18 years later, it's not like it's it any easier. But, again, I just, I just can't stress enough. I'll never ever forget that day, what I was doing. I remember everything about that day. Every, and I was so young,
0: too. Uh, it's just something that was so eerie, too. I'll just wrap up on that, going home that night and trying to watch TV to find coverage. And so many of the channels that I would click on that weren't local and they had to report the news, they they weren't running – programming that night it was just a photo that said tbs tonight will no will not air normal tv programming it was just a candle and it was just like thoughts and prayers to everybody who was lost today during the attacks against america it wasn't just one channel yeah i mean like i I might be off on what the channels were but i'm talking like tbs fx channels that i was used to coming across you know i think even my mom made a comment because she was a big um at home shopper like Home Shopping Network and QVC all had the, yeah. It was it was just like, what?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was still hard to even comprehend. Like days after, too. It's nuts, man. It's nuts. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Got a couple minutes. UTC's coming. It'll be the third consecutive game inside Neyland Stadium before the boys hit the road down to the swamp, and we'll have to watch the game on television. Um, I think Jarnigan will pay for me to go. That'd be fun. I've never been to a game in the swamp. I'd like to go down there. I
0: have. I've been once, um, 2007. Florida routed the Vols. Came outside to a. Is that nine, where your windshield wiper? Your, your windshield. My buddy's SUV. We all drove down there together, split gas. He had a nine iron in his windshield. We were in the parking lot post game for almost four hours because Safe Light couldn't get through the crowd. And they finally got to us and replaced our windshield so we could drive home. Jeez. I will tell you the best Waffle House meal I ever had was outside of Gainesville though because we were so hungry. I mean, Waffle House is pretty spot on. You would have thought this was like hors d'oeuvre heaven, man. <laughs> Just crisp enough on the hash browns. The burger was delicious. Guy gave us all free waffles. Your boys are going to need this tonight after that game. <laughs> like, you know what? We I'll- were going to say, like, screw you, but it's free waffles. I mean,
1: whatever. Appreciate it, sir. All right. Does get yeah, It's it's UTC, but does Garantano bounce back? Does he look good? And, uh it's UTC he better? I agree. Which quarterback will we see first? Because Tennessee's got to play in a- Got to play another quarterback this year. Shroud. This week, Okay. I mean, I can't
0: remember who asked the question of being look. Looks like Stroud's. It was two. it was
1: uh, Meyer the Sentinel, and he said, and he cut him off. Said, Coach, you know, uh, Gar- the shoe. By the way, the how's that not a that? personal foul? Yeah, what the heck? Like, come play on, a game of something. G- Garantano's like what? Like yeah. you just say like he put like what? Um, said Coach, you know, the shoe came off and. Looked like Brian Maurer put on the helmet and was going to go on the field. So, what have you seen in him to promote Shrout. him to backup quarterback? No, he said Maurer. Oh, well, Shroud was the one that Pruitt had to grab by the jersey and pull him back out and said, Get his shoes on. There, there are two things that happened right there. Brian Maurer ran on the field, Pruitt grabbed Shroud. So, Top Meyer was saying Brian Maurer looked like he was running on the field, da, 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 da. And, and so, what have you seen from him? And that's when Jeremy cut him off and said, Well, first of all, Brian is not the backup quarterback. He just saw that quarterback was down or quarterback shoe came off, put on his helmet wanted to go in there, and I kind of like that. In saying that, he didn't say that J.T. Stroud was the backup, but you can induce that if, if if Maurer's not the backup, then it would be J.T. Stroud. He did say that both those guys need to get game reps, need to get reps, need to get under the lights, need to see what they're all about. And so that's why you thought against Georgia State you'd see that. You definitely think that this Saturday against UTC you'll see that. Um so, we'll have to see, but I think it'll the be throughout. The game strong. needs to get out of
0: hand where all three quarterbacks play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's
0: what UTC's here for. Let it get out of hand.
1: It's what Georgia State was supposed to be here for, but whatever. You keep in, yeah, of course you were. you were. You're a degenerate. You probably had some, some wink on that game.
0: I'm 0-2.
1: Furman and Georgia State?
0: Oh, no, on that game. I'm 0-2 this year with Tennessee. Tennessee cover, Tennessee under. Don't get me started. I went 8-2 and two last week, and one of them was the Tennessee under. Should have been 9-1. I would let overtime. you come into my Scrooge McDuck vault and let you dive into my
1: coins. Hey, bad beats though, huh?
0: Not the not the fake SVP. <laughs> Getting that game up there for me yesterday morning. Appreciate it.
1: Gentlemen's Hour podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Sports Radio, WNML.com. I'm Eric Kane with Tyler Robbins and John Stansel. He is at John Stansel, John underscore Stansel on Twitter. He's at Tyler Ivins, and I am at underscore Caner. John, as always, it has been a pleasure. The highlight of my week is sitting across from you here doing this podcast. Looking good as always, and uh, we'll uh, we'll chat next week.
0: We hope to meet under better circumstances.
1: Yes. next week, celebrate a win over the mighty the mighty mocks. Tyler, we'll talk later. The mighty Mox. I just want him to bring back the moccasin shoe that used to be the mascot. <laughs> Google it; you'll love it. Bob Kessling opens up vol calls last or uh, or Big Orange Heart lob. Big orange hotline Monday night saying, yeah, the moccasins coming to town. Wait, are they the moccasin? Are they just the mocks? I don't know. They'll be here, though.
0: (laughs) Let's be honest. You don't need to know who they are.
1: (laughs) All right. Have a good rest of your week, everybody. We will talk to you after a big win.
0: Another Gentleman's Hour podcast is in the books with the starting lineups, Tyler Ivins and Eric Kanan. Chat with the guys on Twitter at Tyler Ivins and at underscore Kanan. It's the Gentleman's Hour podcast on The Sports Animal.